Hello Church. Today we're reading from Matthew chapter 26 verses 36 to 46. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell down with his he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all. If I haven't met you before, if I haven't had that chance and that privilege, I'm Ben, I'm the community pastor here, and I just want to say welcome as well to all of you online. We're glad that you could join us in this way. So we're in the middle of a series right now called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And we've been looking at a prayer that Jesus gave us, which is called the Lord's Prayer. And we've had three weeks, so we've been through three lines of the prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and then this morning we come to that next line, your will be done. Now that's probably one of the most difficult lines of this prayer to pray with integrity. I don't know about you, but it's far easier to pray for what I want and what I need than to ask God that his will would trump my desires, that his will would be done even if I don't want it to be done. I also know what it's like to be disappointed to some of the answers that God has given to my prayers. I remember him saying no many times to one of my favorite prayers as a kid. When I was growing up, I'd heard about God. I'd heard that he was powerful. I heard that he could do all things. I heard that you just needed faith as small as a mustard seed and he could move mountains. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to honor this. I'm going to honor this about God. So I remember at the dinner table at times, I'd be praying and I'd be saying, Lord, I just pray with faith. I believe you can do this. 
please put a million dollars underneath my bed. I remember praying that quite a few times, and as dinner finished, I'd, I'd run over to the bed, and I'd look underneath, and it'd be a big fat no from God every single time. For some reason, I imagine it was a pot of gold coins rather than Australian currency. I don't know why. Kids. But there are other times where disappointment in prayer has been not so trivial, but actually quite painful. And I remember a time like that for me personally was when I first entered into, a high, into high school. I'd actually been homeschooled for three years, and I entered back into school. Uh, no friends, no support around me. And I remember that year was one of the most difficult years of my life. I was bullied that year. And I remember on that first day, I was sitting at a table, had my lunchbox out, which wasn't the cool thing to do. You're meant to leave your lunchbox in your bag, take the food out. But anyway, I didn't know this yet. Sitting down there, a couple of other people at the table, I wasn't talking to them. They weren't to me. I think they were new as well. And I just remember something hitting me in the back of the head. And I looked around, and I saw this sandwich on the ground, and this table burst out laughing at me. And at the time, with no friends around me, this, this cut me pretty badly. Uh, I felt like I was about to cry. I ran to the boys' toilets. I was trying to keep it together. And I remember some of the guys in the grade above me came up to me, and they said, bro, what's going on? And they, they tried to comfort me. They said, mate, you tell us who it is. You point us out, we'll bash them for you, bro. Right? Tell us who it is. We'll, we'll beat them up. Anyway, I didn't tell them who it is. I was too embarrassed because it was actually a girl who threw the sandwich. So <laughs> I don't think they actually wanted to beat up a girl. <laughs> but that was my first day of school, and uh, there were many other days like that. And I remember just coming into school and with that terrible feeling of your stomach churning and just feeling sick, just feeling uncomfortable, vulnerable. And uh, I didn't tell anyone about it, didn't tell my family, but I remember many nights, maybe every single night, just praying, just pleading with God, please, please make it stop. Please help me. Please stop this. And I was disappointed. And by the end of that year, I remember choosing to walk away from God, to, to choose to be cool and be with all the other people and, and to get away from the bullying. And I don't know about you, I don't know if you've experienced disappointment in prayer. I'm sure you have. Whether it's a, a marriage that you've been praying for that keeps drifting further and further apart. Maybe a loved one got cancer or got sick and you prayed for them fervently and they don't seem to be getting any better. Maybe you pray for someone to come to know Jesus but they just seem like they still remain resistant to him. I know that probably for everyone in this room, disappointment in prayer is personal for us. And that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. We're going to be looking at an episode in the life of Jesus, the creator of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be looking at a deep, dark trial for him and how he prayed during his disappointment and difficulty. If you've ever wondered why God didn't say yes to your prayers... If you've ever been confused by God in prayer, disappointed, then enter into the story of Jesus with me. Let's look at how Jesus dealt with these problems because he went through disappointment in prayer in unimaginable intensity, and yet he came through the other side, still victorious. He can show us that path. So in our Bible passage today, we enter into a night where Jesus was having dinner with his friends, the disciples. 
And as it came towards the end of the dinner, it was getting late into the evening, he asked his disciples to take a walk with him. And so they went outside and they walked about 15 minutes through the Kidron Valley to a place called Gethsemane. And the Bible doesn't tell us what Jesus and his disciples spoke about during that walk, but I imagine it was silent because Jesus had some troubling things that were beginning to weigh on him. And so as they arrived at Gethsemane, he asked his disciples to sit down. But then he asked three of his closest friends, James, Peter, and John, to keep walking with him. And as he was walking with these close buddies of his, he began to to reveal what was going on inside. He began to be visibly troubled around them. And he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus wasn't an exaggerator. And trembling with emotion, he reaches out to his friends and he says, stay here and keep watch with me. In other words, I need your support right now. Would you stay here and pray with me? And venturing on a little further into the garden, the emotion eventually was so overwhelming that he stumbled down to his knees. He fell on his face and he prayed these words. He said, my father, if it is possible... May this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. What was Jesus praying here? What is this cup that he wants to be taken away? Well, it's clear from the Old Testament that the cup, it refers to God's judgment. This was the thing that was troubling Jesus so much. But I guess the question is, why would Jesus drink the cup of God's judgment? He was a good man. He loved the poor. He'd had dinner with outsiders and outcasts. He'd healed the sick. Why would he drink it? Well, he was going to drink it because he was taking the place of sinners and rebels and criminals. He came from heaven to earth for this very reason, to drink the cup of our judgment down to its dregs so there wouldn't be a drop left for his people. And Jesus ultimately felt the full force of that at the cross where John Calvin said Jesus suffered the terrible torments of a condemned and forsaken man. Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, had only ever experienced the love and intimacy of the Father. That's all he had ever known. Love, fellowship, mutual delight, joy. And he was faced with the prospect that he would be cut off. And that was the thing that troubled him so deeply. There are many other trials that Jesus faced in his life. He went through temptations in the wilderness. He he confronted demons. He confronted the political powers and the chief priests. But only this was a trial which Jesus trembled over, which Jesus fell to his face, weak at his knees, because he couldn't imagine life without the Father's love. So Jesus spent about an hour praying, down on his face, crying out to the Father. And when he returned to his comforters, he found them asleep. And he said, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Two more times, Jesus went back and forth like this. There's something very vulnerable about this moment like a child who needs comfort, 
like a child going to surgery who just wants to hold mummy or daddy's hand. He, he, he's just looking for comfort from his father and from his friends. But there were two more times he finds them asleep and they're totally unaware of his greatest need. And in his deep anguish and disappointment, Jesus was completely alone. Jesus willingly chose to go through what he feared most because of his love for people who reject God, people who avoid God, people who couldn't care less about God, people like you and me. And it's amazing that the Bible says that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross. Now, that's not saying that Jesus enjoyed the cross, but what came after it is what gave him joy. What did he have on the other side of the cross that he didn't have before it? Was it the acceptance of the Father? He already had that. Was it authority and power? Jesus already had those. Was it peace, paradise, pain-free life? Jesus already had that before the cross. What did he secure after the cross that he didn't have before? What gave him that joy? It was us. Jesus loved us that deeply that he chose to go through Gethsemane and ultimately to the cross to save and to rescue us from the cup of God's wrath. Before the cross, we were condemned to judgment for all the bad things we had thought and done. But God removed our condemnation by receiving our judgment in our place. And the thought of rescuing you and me gave Jesus such joy that he went through the sorrow of unanswered prayer and the shame of the cross to save us. And I think if there is anything that will help us face the difficulty of disappointment in prayer, it's the Garden of Gethsemane. In the Garden, we see the excruciating depths of Jesus' love for us. We see the willingness of Jesus to put our interests before his own. We see the unmistakable goodness and kindness of God. This story shows us that Jesus experienced more distress and pain and, dis and disappointment in prayer than we could ever imagine, so that our deepest prayer need would never go unanswered. Jesus submitted to the cup of God's judgment so that when sinners and rebels ask for God's forgiveness, God can say with all integrity, yes, absolutely, I forgive you, I love you, come into my arms. Even before the Garden of Gethsemane and the cross happened, God had been saying yes to that prayer for years. He'd, he'd allowed people like Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, all of Israel to be his people, even though they were sinful, just like you and me. But the difference is that in those times, Satan was able to go into God's courtroom and say, how can you do this? How can you pardon these people? You are just, you cannot pardon these people. But since the cross, Satan has, been, Satan has been shut up and cast out of God's courtroom. God has been fully just and fully loving all along. And God didn't begin loving us after the cross, as if he couldn't stand us before then. God has always loved his people from all eternity. Just go and read Ephesians 1. The cross accomplished the desire of God's heart to be with his people, even though they were sinful. The cross defends God's decision 
to justify people who didn't deserve it. The cross confirms that God has been fully just and fully loving all along. Now, there may be no answer for why God doesn't say yes to certain prayers, church. But let me ask you this. Can you trust someone who loves you so much that he is willing to die for you? Can you trust someone, though he was sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was that anxious about what was to come, and he went through it anyway because of his love for you? Can you trust the father who looked at his son in these moments of pain and said, son, this is the only way. This is the only way we can save these people. Can you trust someone like that? I think we can. Jesus didn't have to earn our trust, but he did. A well-known Swiss theologian once said, he's got an interesting name, when what is required of us seems too burdensome, when the pains become unbearable and the fate we are asked to accept seems simply meaningless, then we have come very close to the man nailed on the cross at the place of the skull, for he has already undergone this on our behalf and moreover in unimaginable intensity. Jesus went through disappointment in prayer with an intensity that we will never comprehend so that we wouldn't have to. He knows our pain. He knows our distress and some. And he is here with, by the Spirit today, longing to comfort those who are in need of that. What else does the Garden of Gethsemane teach us about how to deal with disappointment in prayer? Well, here are four things we can learn from Jesus. The first is practical, and the remaining three have to do with prayer itself. And the first thing that Jesus teaches us in the Garden of Gethsemane is not to isolate yourself. Don't isolate yourself. When you're going through difficulty in prayer, sometimes you can feel like you're the only one who understands that you're completely alone, that no one really cares for you. But the Son of God showed us that even He took His three closest friends to come with Him and to pray with Him and to comfort Him in His time of need. Sometimes we can feel bad, as if we're not allowed to struggle in our faith, we're not allowed to struggle with some of the answers that God gives. But Jesus is actually far more honest than we often are. And He took His friends, and He brought them to be with Him while He was praying. Don't isolate yourself in times of disappointment and struggle in prayer. Get people around you that you can bear your soul to. And if you don't have friends like that, I would encourage you to join a growth group. Join a growth group, walk with people, love them, pray for them, and when difficult times come, you'll have people that you can lean on and you can pray with. The second thing that Jesus teaches us is to do with prayer itself. So I'm going to tell us three things about prayer itself now. The first thing about prayer is that Jesus teaches us to hold on to God's love, to hold on to God's love. He begins his prayer with, my Father, my Father. When you come into prayer and your circumstances seem difficult, maybe you've lost your job, maybe you've lost a friend, maybe something has happened and you cannot understand why. In these moments when you come into prayer, hold on to God's love. You are coming before your Abba Father who deeply loves you. 
Just Jesus never doubted this once when he prayed. God's goodness wasn't even a question. When you come into prayer, talk to your Father. Know that you are with someone who deeply, truly loves you, even if you don't understand his ways. The second thing we need to do is be radically honest. Radically honest. Jesus said, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Now, that's actually quite a shocking line for Jesus to say. He's basically praying to avoid the cross. He's, he's actually, it's almost like he's praying unbiblically. The writer of the book, How to Pray, Pete Grieg, who has really inspired a lot of the series, he pointed something out to me here that I'd never seen before. And if you put this prayer in Gethsemane side by side with the first few lines of the Lord's Prayer, they actually line up remarkably well. I'll put that up on the screen just for a moment. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Our Father in heaven. In Gethsemane, he says, My Father. The Lord's Prayer says, Hallowed be your name. In Gethsemane, he says, Everything is possible for you. That's from Mark's gospel, that line. Everything is possible for you. In other words, both of them are saying, hallowed be your name. Everything is possible for you. You are great. You are able to do all things. And the last couple of lines match up perfectly well as well. But it's that middle line. In the Lord's prayer, Jesus prayed, your kingdom come. But in this prayer, he says, may this cup be taken from me. The very cup, which is the means to bringing the kingdom, is the cup which Jesus is saying, Lord, if there is any other way, can we avoid that? Sometimes I think Jesus is more honest than we are with God. In the face of the painful separation of his father, he wondered, he wondered if there was another way to save us. He was radically honest. So when you go to God in prayer, just know that he already... He already knows what's in your heart. You can be honest with Him. You can share with Him your unpleasant emotions. You can even tell Him, hey, Lord, I don't want to do what I feel like you want me to do. I'm struggling with this. Be honest with Him, radically honest, but then don't leave it there. Because the last thing that Jesus teaches us to do is to relinquish our will. Relinquish your will. He said, yet, not as I will, but as you will. I think this is the most painful and difficult part of Jesus' prayer. Have you ever just known God wanted you to do something, but you did not want to do it? Maybe you were angry at someone, you did not want to apologize, but he was laying it on your heart. Maybe he wanted you to confess something to someone, something that you were ashamed and embarrassed about, and that was scary. Sometimes it can be scary to relinquish our will to God. One of the hardest things and scariest things to do in those moments is to truly surrender it, to pray, Lord, I really don't want to do this right now, but I trust you, your will be done. No matter how scary this feels, the God of Gethsemane and the cross has proved and shown us that He can be trusted. Sometimes His will could lead us into painful moments but ultimately leads us into the joy of Easter and the resurrection and new creation. God's will is good, but it doesn't always avoid pain. And even if we don't understand why He does and doesn't do certain things right now, one day we will. P.T. Forsyth says, 
We shall come one day to a heaven where we shall gratefully know that God's great refusals were sometimes the true answers to our truest prayers. Beautiful. So what do we learn? Well, when it comes to disappointment in prayer, Jesus' example has shown us not to isolate ourselves. And then when we come in prayer, we hold on to God's love. We be radically honest. And then we relinquish our will to the Father that we trust. So we've heard from God. We've heard what His Word says. So I guess the question is, what will you do the next time you face disappointment in prayer? What will you do the next time that God doesn't give you something that you pray for, especially in those difficult times when you don't see how it could have been anything but good? What will you do the next time you pray for a loved one to be healed but they don't get better? Or for the bullying of your child to stop but it doesn't? What will you do? Will you trust God's heart? Will you get friends around you? Will you hold on to his love in prayer? Be radically honest and relinquish your will. That's what God is, is showing us this morning through Matthew 26, through Jesus' example. And I believe that if we as a church obey Jesus in this area, if we got around each other, leaned deeply into God in prayer and believed in his goodness despite whatever we faced, I believe we would be a deeply attractive church. Because so many people in the world believe that in the face of evil, there couldn't be a God. Or if there is one, he himself is evil. But what a testimony would it be if we as the people of God were able to say, even when God doesn't give us what we want, we love him. We worship him because we know Jesus. We know Jesus. Wouldn't that be beautiful if we could testify to a watching world with that? If we trust the man of Gethsemane, and follow his example, we will stand out in a world of hopeless negativity. And people will think we are either crazy or that God really has done something among us. And one person who has modeled this in the face of considerable suffering is a woman called Joni Erickson Tata. And I'm going to read from Pete Griggs' book about her, and he just shares her example. I think it's so inspiring. It's what Pete says. Joni Erickson Tata was a fun-loving, active 17-year-old enamored by the world around her and charmed by the opportunities life held for her. She went to the beach one day in the summer of 1967 with her sister. Diving into the bay, she misjudged the shallowness of the water and tragically broke her spine. For more than 50 years, she has been paralyzed from her shoulders down. Joni cried out to God with complete faith for healing. I followed every scriptural injunction. I was anointed with oil. I went to the elders. I confessed sin. I would call up my friends on the telephone and insist, hey, the next time you're going to see me, I'm going to be on my feet. Have faith with me. Believe with me. But God didn't heal Joni, and he hasn't yet. Instead, her life has been a testimony to God's goodness despite her suffering. Pete continues to write, it has been God's will to bring comfort, hope, and advocacy to millions of people, many of them disabled, through her testimony of unhealing. She still believes that she'll throw another rock into the swamp one day, pray another prayer, and walk out of her wheelchair healed, but it may not be this side of heaven. 
And so in the meantime, she continues to pray Christ's painful prayer of relinquishment. Abba, Father, everything is possible for you, yet not what I will, but what you will. After years of wrestling with God, Joni can somehow say, this paralysis is my greatest mercy. And she said, he has not chosen to heal me, but to hold me. The more intense the pain, the closer his embrace. Joni's trust in God, despite her disappointment in prayer, has impacted millions for the better. And I just wonder what kind of impact we could have as a church if we followed her example and the example of the man in Gethsemane. Let's pray together. Father, this is a difficult topic. And Jesus, we've seen you in Gethsemane, sweating blood, on your face, in tears, crying out to your Father. We've seen the pain that you went through and that you willingly chose the cross anyway. Jesus, we are yours. And we worship you for all you've done. And we praise you and we thank you for you. Because of you, we have hope. Because of you, we have the Father. We have the hope of resurrection, new creation, life without pain and turmoil. And Lord, we thank you for these things. And Jesus, we just pray that we can really stare deeply into your example in Gethsemane. That we can feel what you felt. That we can know that you went through that for us. And that Lord in times of disappointment and prayer, that we would be reminded of who you are, that you are deeply good and deeply loving. Jesus, we give ourselves to you. We pray, help us. Help us as a church to trust you. Do your miraculous work in us, Holy Spirit, that we might praise you even in pain. We might worship you even in sorrow. And we pray for opportunities that people around us in the world would see that you are worthy, that you are good, and that you triumph and trump all the difficulties of this life in the end. We love you and we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, please stand with me now. I just want to declare this blessing over you from 2 Corinthians 9 verse 8, where it says, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless your people in that way right now. Amen. We're going to respond now by singing, Your Will Be Done. And if God has spoken to you today, if you want to put your trust in Him, if you want to surrender,